Well, hi everybody. I want to start today's message by asking you a question. If I was to ask you what turns an average day to a good one, what fills your emotional tank like nothing else, what brings joy and passion and energy to your life like nothing else, I suspect the answer would be people. You see a friend for coffee, you share a joke with someone, you get a card in the post, nothing energizes us, nothing moves us, nothing increases the sense of joy and happiness in our lives like people do. But if I was to ask you, what stresses you, what upsets you, what sucks the energy right out of you, what turns a potentially normal or good day into a bad day, I guess the answer would be people. A difficult co-worker, a challenging family member, a pushy salesperson, a persistent preacher, an irritating customer service rep at the returns desk of a well-known Scandinavian furniture store renowned for candles and meatballs, People stress us out. People recharge us and people deplete us like nothing else. I recently read the story of a Siberian man called Yuri Tchuchurik who had an argument with his wife. Uh, Mr. Tchuchurik stormed out of his house uh, because his wife served him cold soup, which I guess is a bigger deal if you live in Siberia than in London. But only the problem was that when Yuri stormed out of the house, he got lost in the woods close to his house for more than a month. Barely managing to survive. So this is not Beckenham Place Park, okay? This is somewhere a bit more kind of like, slightly more kind of out there. Yuri said, I thought I was going to die. The temperatures were sub-zero and I was getting really weak. Yuri Tchurik, 69, ate berries and leaves in the forest and eventually died, sorry, eventually collapsed in a field beside a haystack. After a month of eating hay for food and snow for water, he was found frostbitten, weak and crippled, and discovered by farm workers. They took him to a hospital where doctors said he was lucky to be alive, and he may have to have his severely frostbitten legs amputated. No matter what, said Yuri, that is the last time I will criticize my wife's cooking. <laughs> nothing energizes us like people. Nothing stresses us like people. Nothing moves us like people. Nothing demotivates us people like people. And nothing can encourage us to grow like people. And nothing can harm our development as people Uh, as people do. We are in a series called Transformed, and we're looking at the subject how God really does want to change our lives. Now, right at that moment, people often make a mistake. Okay, I hear this a lot as a pastor in a church, because often people want to come to God, they want to know God, they want to explore faith, but they often say this, I just need to sort some things out, and then I'll come. I just need to sort out this relationship that I know is a bit off, I need to go and sort out the money issue, which I know is just not right. I need to go and get free of this addiction. And once I've sorted those things, I'll come. I hear people say that a lot. The problem with that is that's not how the gospel works. Jesus said in John chapter 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then streams of living water are going to flow out from within them. In other words, Jesus says, The only qualification in terms of coming to me is one thing. It's called thirst. Need. You have to be needy. You have to be aware that you have a need that you cannot answer on your own, and you have to be prepared to come and ask God to do something. You cannot clear up your life before you come to Him. And Jesus says that if you will come to me thirsty, acknowledging that I'm the answer, if you'll believe in me, Jesus says, then streams of living water are going to flow from within you. In other words, the picture of water in the Bible is pretty much always about life, okay? Israel lived in the desert, so whenever you read about rivers and water, often it is a picture about life. And Jesus is saying, 
I will do such a deep work inside of you that something new is going to happen inside of you. There will be new life coming from within. God wants to change us inside out. Now, if ever there was an area where we need to know God's transforming power, it is this one, right? It's in relationships with people. And the reason for that is because our relationships are so vital to us. If you were here a few weeks ago, I spoke under the issue of friendship. And I talked about this fact that we are all born, every single one of us are born with a fierce desire and need and drive to connect with other people. God stamps us with his vain DNA in creation. We are made in God's image. God himself lives in community, which means that he's put into our very DNA this need and desire to connect with other people, which is why when we experience loneliness, it is so crippling to us because we were never made to live like that on our own, always to live in connection and community to other people. The problem is this, whilst we have a fierce desire and need to connect, we have a problem because our relationships and our ability to build healthy relationships have been affected and distorted by our fallenness and brokenness and sin. Sin infects every area of our life, and apart from, if you like, our ability to relate with God, which it severs, which is the most serious consequence, probably sin's most devastating area of attack is in the area of relationships. As soon as sin enters the world, into the human race, relationships fragment. So I'm going to take you to a passage in Genesis 3, and if you've been around church at all, you may have heard this before, but this is the story when sin enters the world, and you immediately see what happens in terms of our ability to relate to one another. Verse 6 of Genesis 3 It says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put in here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Now, we're going to just fast forward down to verse 16. This is where God is pronouncing what is the the consequence of the sin, the curse of the sin. And to Eve, he says these words, your desire, Eve, from now on will be for your husband and he will rule over you. We're going to come back to that phrase in a minute. Now, immediately, Genesis 3, you see that sin, fallenness, our rebellion with God, not only has huge significance for our ability to relate to him, but it has enormous implications for our ability to relate to other people. And you see three main things immediately that enters the world and our experience, and we have experienced them ever since. First of all, this, shame enters the world. Adam and Eve, God comes looking, Adam hides, Eve hides, they cover themselves, they realize they're naked, and they cover themselves. What is that a picture about? That is a picture of shame and wanting to close over See, whereas up to now, Adam and Eve had lived 
completely open, completely transparent. They have nothing to hide. Now, suddenly they're aware that everything is not right, and they start to hide. They start to close up. It's a picture of us wanting to not disclose who we really are. It's a picture of not being open anymore, not being able to be transparent. Now, the problem is this, okay? We still have a fierce desire to connect. We want to know and be known. We want to love and be loved. That is fiercely within all of us. But now, we feel the urge to hide, to cover, to wear a mask, not really allow people to know who we really are, because we are ashamed of who we really are. We want to connect, but we're ashamed. And the problem is this, okay? We can only be loved to the extent we are known. So shame has entered the world. Blame enters the world. Adam blames God and Eve for the sin issue. Eve blames the serpent. We begin, the human race begins now to want to divert responsibility for our own sinful actions. They start to project responsibility. This is where condemnation comes. This is where judgmentalism comes. We become hypercritical of other people, basically because out of our own insecurities. So if we look for ways to adopt more assertive and superior positions from people, because actually they're the product of our own insecurities. We look to blame others so that we divert responsibility from ourselves because we don't want anybody to see who we really are in case they work it out. Blame enters. Then conflict comes. Adam and Eve have conflict. Cain and Abel have conflict. The first murder takes place in the very first family, and it's rooted in verse 16 or verse 3, where God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Okay, now that is not a picture of sexual desire. That is an issue about control and domination. God is saying to Eve, you're going to try at your worst, Eve. You're going to want to try and control him. Adam, at his worst, he's going to want to dominate you. And this has been played out through the pages of history ever since. Control and domination between sexes, between men and men, women and women, all, again, conflict born out of the fall. One generation to the next generation, our relationships have been fragmented. It's played out around us and in our own lives. And the human race is stuck. We're stuck because... We want to know. We want to be known. We want to love and we want to be loved. And yet we're infected with this disease called sin, which means that we, ever since, if you like, relationally have limped. Our ability to relate to one another in healthy ways have been affected ever since the fall. What do we do? Well, a few weeks ago when I spoke on friendship, I talked about the fact that when it comes to relationships, there are certain things you've got to do. You've got to do A, B, C, D, E. And if you were here, I talked about things like this. You've got to understand that relationships and friendships are critical to you. That's the way God has set this up. Okay, They are a means of grace. So if you're not connected to a church, but you're a believer, you need to get in a church. You need to find other people who can encourage and strengthen you. That's the way God has done it. It means you need to be very intentional about finding those friends. It means you need to be very deliberate about assigning lots of time to friendship. Because if you don't give it time, you won't create enough friends. Okay? We live in an urban place. People are mobile. Have you noticed how people move out of cities? It's really frustrating when your friends leave, right? And you have to keep restocking and investing in friendships. There are all sorts of things you have to do when it comes to building relationships and friendships. And that's all valid. But today I want to attack it from a different way, okay? I want to, if you like, find a different path up the mountain. 
In Genesis 3, just as uh, we've seen that passage where sin enters the world, it begins with this phrase where it says that God is walking in the garden. Now, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew word, the picture of someone walking with someone was a picture of friendship. Okay, so we still use that phrase now, don't we? Often we all refer to someone that they walked through their lives together. Well, in Hebrew culture, even more. If you talked about someone walking with someone, it is a picture of friendship. And it is a very deliberate choice in Genesis 3 to describe and imply that God's relationship with Adam was one of closeness and intimacy to the point that they are friends. God comes walking, looking for his friend Adam. The problem is Adam now has sinned. He hides He hides away. He doesn't want God to find him. He turns away from God. And the product of turning away from God and rebelling from God is not that it just severs our relationship with God. The product is that friendship is ruined. And now these friendships are ruined. The relationships become infected. Our ability to relate to other people, to build healthy, sustainable relationships, are crippled and affected because of the brokenness in the relationship which stems from our relationship with God. Now, if that is how it is biblically, which is what it is, okay, the truth works the other way. Okay, the key to being transformed relationally, and that is what we want, right? Okay, it's all very nice having a whole series called Transform and having nice pull-up banners and nice videos, but if nothing changes, there's no point. So we want something to change. And if you want your ability to relate to other people to change and to be able to build more healthy relationships, if you want that, then you have to reverse what's happened. And the key to building more healthy relationships is to restore this relationship with the Father. To allow God to work closely within us. To, to work, to, if you like, to learn to walk with Him Again, and if you do that and you allow God to work in your lives, then the product of that will be that actually God starts to help us build relationships healthily with other people. The foundation to a healthy relationship with others is a restored relationship with Him. The more we surrender to Him, the more we give Him access to our hearts, the more God will change us from within, and the more our relationships with other peoples will change. That just happens. It is the natural product of a restored relationship with God. Now, right at the start of this series, in fact, it's on, the, on all the kind of like information we've had this series, is a verse out of Romans 12. And it says this. I'm going to read it to you now. Romans 12 talks about transformation. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform, be transformed, be changed by what? By doing all these things? No, not firstly. Firstly, by the, if you like, being by the renewing of your mind. In other words, Romans 12 is saying, change, real change in the way we live, the way we relate, the way we build relationships. Real change there begins by change in terms of what we actually really believe is true. Change what you believe is true will change how you live your life. And if that is true anywhere, it is definitely true when it comes to our relationship. God wants to change us inside out. The gospel is not just a message of a saved soul. It is the message of a restored life. Now, one of the problems with our relationships, one of the reasons why some of our relationships are so messed up 
is because this. Because our hearts are broken and fragmented and we carry brokenness with us, sometimes we tend towards looking at relationships with other people to try and give us what only a relationship with God could give us. We look into relationships with this person or that person or that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that parent. Or we look for them to deliver to us security and, and stability that fundamentally, in the end, only comes from him first. In Jeremiah 2, uh, 2, there's a really interesting verse which can definitely be applied into this issue, where God says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. They, in other words, they turned away the spring of living water. God describes himself. I'm a spring. I'm the spring of living water. And they have dug, this is interesting, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns. In other words, we try to find living water somewhere else. We look anywhere other than God. We try and build our own containers which are broken. In other words, they don't work which cannot hold water. That's a condition of the human heart, isn't it? Away from God, where we search everywhere looking for only what God can give us. And that is true with relationships. We can, we can overload other relationships with expectations that only this relationship can answer. And if you don't find your answer from this relationship with him first these relationships will always be prone to disappoint you because they were never designed to deliver that for you. When we start finding God, when we start walking with Him, allowing Him access to our lives, we start to give Him our life, we start to find healing, we start to find a new identity, a new security, and it changes the way we relate with other people. Okay, so for the next five, ten minutes, what we're going to do together is we're going to do Romans 12, 2 together. Okay? We're going to take that passage we just read from Romans 12, which talks about you are transformed by the renewing of your mind in terms of what you really believe. And I am going to unload on you for the next five, ten minutes a truckload of truth. Okay, this is for me, this is like explosives. I'm going to lob into the room right now a few explosives. Okay, some of them are going to detonate right now in the room for some of you. Okay, others are going to detonate later on. That's quite fun when you're the preacher because there's something they get it, it's gone off somewhere else. But there's truth coming. Okay, and we're going to look at some passages from the Bible that are truth about who God is and what he has done in our life. And this is particularly for those of you who have made a decision to follow Jesus. Now, I know that not everybody in the room is in that place. Okay, if you're checking out church and wondering about faith, you are welcome. Okay, but for those of you who have made that decision, if you'd like, you've crossed the line of faith. This is what the Bible says about you in terms of your relationship with God now. And this is really important. It's so important. In fact, I want you to write these things down as we go. Okay, write them down on a notepad. Find the newsletter. Write it on that. If you don't get one, nab it from somebody else's bag. Okay, write it on your hand. Write it on their hand. I don't mind. Find somewhere to write these things down because this is truth and it's going to explode. And I want you to work on it this week. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a few things that have happened absolutely when you become a Christian if you have crossed the line of faith. Here's the first one. When you give your life to Jesus, the gospel says that Jesus forgives you absolutely for all the failings and brokenness you've ever carried. 
Now, some of you know this stuff. It's like, or many of us, you may know this, but there's a huge difference between intellectually knowing something and truly tasting the truth of it in your heart. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, the psalmist says, there is an experience of God where you get to know him here, not just know about him here. And God wants you to taste this truth in your heart. So Psalm 103 says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his trans- our transgressions from us. How far as the east is from the west? As far as you can go. What it means is this. I can be free of shame. One of the consequences of Genesis 3 is that there's shame, there's failure, there's brokenness, and I carry guilt about it. That's one of the reasons why I don't want to disclose who I am to people, because I'm worried they're going to see my shame and my guilt, and if they see my shame and guilt, I'm worried they're not going to like me, they're going to reject me, and then I'm out. So I'm not going to let them know. I'm going to wear a mask, and it affects the way our ability to relate to one another. And the gospel says the guilt thing is dealt with. It's gone. It's like, you know, imagine I've got a bag here, and in the bag is all the stuff I've done wrong, or all the stuff you've done wrong. And at the cross, God says, at the cross, you put the bag down, all the failings, all the sin, all the brokenness, you leave it at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus says, I will pay for that, and it doesn't belong to you anymore. The problem is sometimes we, want to, we become Christians and we want to pick up the bag and walk off with it again. And we drag it around behind us. We feel shame. It means we're really easily embarrassed. We don't want people to know. And it affects our ability to relate to other people. Have you noticed this? And at the cross, God's saying, no, I paid. It's not your bag. Put the bag down. It's not your place to pick it up again. It doesn't belong to you. It's taken away. Guilt has gone, okay? It means I'm forgiven. Guilt goes God wants to deal with shame. It's gone. Here's the next one. I'm accepted. Romans 15 says this. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. See, it's one thing to be forgiven, which is extraordinary enough. But it is quite another thing to say, I accept you. You see, someone could do something wrong. Simon could hurt me, okay? And I can say, well, I forgive you, Simon, but that's it. I'm not allowing you close. Like, I'm not going to talk to you again. I've forgiven you. But that's it. You're at arm's length. That's not how the gospel works. This isn't just a gospel of forgiveness. This is a gospel of acceptance. You are not held at arm's length anymore. You are accepted in. You're allowed to approach. It means when you get this, when you understand this, when this starts to really permeate deep inside of you, when the explosion takes place in your heart, I'm not just forgiven. I don't have to carry guilt anymore for that stuff that I even haven't told anyone about. And by the way, it's really important you get this because there is in the Bible an enemy called the, called the devil, called Satan, and he's described as the accuser of the brothers. In other words, the enemy will come and go, well, that's true for everyone, but it's not true for you. You look around the room, they're, they're, you can tell it's true for them, but it's just not quite true for you. When that voice comes... You take Psalm 103, you take Romans 15, and you kill the voice. You say, no, 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 no. 
The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's taken and go. It says in Romans 15, I'm accepted. You're not allowed to take people outside and shoot them, but you can take that voice outside and shoot him. And you kill it with truth. I'm accepted. It means when you get this, it affects the way you relate to other people. It means when I understand that the King of Kings accepts me, it means I'm free to relate to people in a more authentic way. Increasingly free to disclose in an appropriate place, an appropriate way, who I really am. Now, people may reject me when I tell them my story, and it will still sting. It's just when you're clear that God accepts you, when you're clear you're forgiven, it may sting you, but it doesn't derail you anymore. Its impact is lessened. God wants you to get it deep in your soul. You think, I'm okay. If this person doesn't accept me anymore, I'm okay. Here's the next one. Not just accepted, Romans 8, but now I am adopted. This is huge. This is what Romans 8 says. The spirit you receive, listen to these words, does not make you slaves. Too many believers cross the line of faith, okay, but still are enslaved to old patterns of thinking. That somehow God doesn't like me or there's, something, there's bad things about me or and we're enslaved. And actually, Romans 8 says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you have to live in fear again. You don't have to live in fear anymore about what people are going to think about you. You don't have to be a constant pleaser to other people. You don't have to try really hard to get people to accept you anymore. Because I've been accepted. I've been forgiven. And now Romans 8 says, not only that, but I've been adopted. I'm in. The spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order we may also share in his glory. If you get deep in your heart that not only you forgive and not only accept it, but you're now adopted... Like you are in the family. And by the way, when it says in the Bible, sonship, that doesn't mean it's just for men. It's including all men and women. It's just that in that culture, the firstborn male got the inheritance. So it says we are heirs. We are in the family. If you get that in your spirit, you I'm a son. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. There is something acceptable about me to him. I'm adopted. He's for me, not against me. When you get it, it starts to create in you an enormous sense of security. That means that if you, for example, carry unforgiveness towards someone who's hurt you, which, by the way, is very normal. So someone's burnt you in the past, okay? That was unacceptable what they did. If you carry unforgiveness about that, we tend to do that because what we want to do is we want to hold them accountable. We want them to pay and we keep them, we want to try and keep them prisoner. The truth is, is that actually it keeps us prisoner. That's the problem with unforgiveness. And, and actually left to itself, it, it's kind of like, it sprouts bitterness, and bitterness roots in us, and bitterness absolutely affects our ability to relate to other people. Not just that person, but the people around us. If you're a bitter person, you will know that comes out in all sorts of ways in the relationships around you. One of the answers to bitterness and unforgiveness is understanding I'm accepted, I'm adopted, I'm in. 
And that starts to breed in you a sense of security where you can start to let go and process some of this pain and start to forgive this person. It doesn't mean you condone them. It means you forgive it and you let God be God. You know, I'm a a son. I don't have to hold this anymore and I don't have to let it hold me because Romans 8 says this, the spirit he gave me isn't a spirit to make me a slave anymore. I don't have to be fearful anymore. I can let it go. And healing starts to come. Here's another one. Isaiah 54. There are so many verses you could pick. Okay? You need to know that you are unconditionally loved. Okay? In other words, God is very fond of you. He is fond of me. He's for me. Isaiah 54 says this, that the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. That's incredible. Even though the Bible says there might be seismic things happening in the world where mountains are shaking, things are falling down, God says, my love for you will not be shaken and my covenant of peace with you will not be removed. It's an incredible thing to know that God loves you. He's for me. He's not against me, Romans says. Psalm 23 says, Surely all the days of my life he will pursue me with goodness and mercy. It's an incredible thing to know. God is for me. God hasn't got a big stick. He's not wanting to hurt me. He is not angry with me. God's forgiven me. I'm accepted. I'm adopted. And he loves me unconditionally. And it won't be shaken. Nothing can shake it. When you get that in your heart, what happens? Things like this. It means that you stop looking for relationships and the relationships, things that, that can never deliver you, and you find it from him. It means for those of us who grew up not feeling loved, that drive and tendency to want to pursue relationships which are very unhealthy for you get severed and disarmed. You know, when you're a kid, you need a father who's going to love you. Many of us didn't have that. If you are a dad in the room, you need to love your kids. If you have a daughter, you need to tell her she's beautiful, or hug her and tell her she's precious. Because if she doesn't grow up knowing she's loved, there's a very good chance she's going to find some other guy to try and find out she's loved. What is the answer to unhealthy relationships where we grapple and look for them to give us what we really need? It is to find this relationship where we suddenly think, I'm... I'm an heir. I'm, it doesn't, I'm, not, I'm not guilty. I'm like at home. Like he's for me. Like he likes me. He doesn't hold me at arm's length. I don't have to persuade him. That, that is like God is doing something in your heart. And the product of that is totally different relationships with other people. Now, some of the explosions are going off in the room. And some of them are going off in your heart. And God wants you to be free. So I'm just going to close really quickly, okay? Here's what I want you to do this week. If you know, you think, oh, man, some of that is just close to home for me. Here's what you do. You write the truth down. You get the passage. You write it out in your own words. You ask God, God, let this be true. Let me know this to be true in my heart. Like the psalmist said, let me taste and see this is true. Let me know this is good. Let me feel it. Move it from here to here. In John 14, Jesus says to the disciples, you believe in God, now believe in me. It's like, he's kind of going, it's like this kind of, you believe, but you don't fully believe. It's like here, but it's not here. And some of us need to go from here to here when it, goes, when it comes to these truths. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm adopted. I'm not an idiot. I don't have to be embarrassed 
I don't have to be worried what people are going to think of me all the time. I don't have to cover up who I really am in case people don't like it. Because, why? Because I'm really clever? No. Because I don't do stupid things? No. Because I'm loved by the king. That's why. That's the answer. Okay? That's the answer. Only God can do these things. But God genuinely, truly wants to do it in your heart. That's why Jesus came. Okay? It says in Romans, you know, surely God who sent his own son paid that price, surely he will do all these other things as well. In other words, God has paid the ultimate down payment for your freedom. God wants you free. God wants you able to build appropriate, healthy relationships which help you and help other people. And the key to that is a restored relationship with him where you begin to live in all the good that he has for you. Not just some of it, not just a bit of it, but all of it. Let's stand. We're going to pray together.